mother is bleeding. At least I have a husband, you know. Does anybody here believe it? No. <laughs> Welcome back to Digging Up the Duggers. <sighs> so we're on episode 48. This makes it the Frederick episode. Now, is this a confirmed grandchild? Confirmed. Okay. This is Jill and Derek's. Jill and Messy Bitch's uh, latest. So when you're watching Shiny Happy People, that's who she was pregnant with. Oh, uh, okay. He was born in July, last July. So Okay. Frederick is a confirmed. Mm-hmm. We're back on confirms for a couple episodes, and then things get murky again. <laughs> Can I make one comment about Jill before you do your notes? Oh, yeah, go for it. So there's an episode of like Brooklyn Nine-Nine where I think they have like a puppy or um like a baby or something and they have it for just a moment and one of the characters who's kind of like the steely like kind of like serious one was like i've only known this thing for 30 minutes and i would already kill for this because it's so cute that's how i feel about jill because she had the strength to be on this documentary and come out and kind of say these things i feel like now like there's a special place for her in my heart where i'm like everything she does is fine (laughs) leave her alone like i feel so protective of her now and we talked about it when you were like i wish people that wanted to get out of something like this knew that we normal people out in the world want to support you yeah want to see you succeed and Yeah. yeah So I kind of want to be like, leave her alone. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) So can I, speaking of Jill, that's my first order of business. I have two orders of business. It's not too much. But my first order of business is about Jill. An order of Um, Jillness. It's one of her nicknames is Jilly Muffin. So (laughs) if you ever want to say Jilly Muffin, you can. I really don't. (laughs) (laughs) So good. So, Jilly Muffin, remember her book, it originally said that it was coming out in Jan- like January 4th or something like that of 2024, okay. and it was like, God, that's a long time away. Mm-hmm. But I did notice that all of her posts said coming soon, blah, blah, hmm. blah, coming soon. She never said that January 2024. Well, I have this really bad habit of like when I roll over in the morning and I'm not even, not even half awake, I'm like one eighth awake. I open my phone and I start checking my email. It's just That's true. I can't help myself. Yeah. So the other day when I was like one sixteenth awake, I checked my email and it was from from Amazon saying that it had been moved up. So now yeah. her book says that it's coming out September twelfth, which is good for them in the sense of like hitting why the like it'll be a little less warm, but it's more warm than January as far as like while strike. the iron's hot. Yeah. So it's like. It, it won't be cold anymore. It'll yeah. be like, you know, a little warm. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the news. you got to get in those uh, those pre-Christmas gift. Exactly. You know. Yep. So her book has been moved up. So that's the first one. Okay. And second order of business is 
just, I mean, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna brag for a minute. This week we hit number four in TV and film on Spotify. It's wild. Like I told Tim, I'm like, I know he doesn't watch Vanderpump Rules. It means nothing to him. But I told him, you know that this whole thing is like a giant thing right now. right now. So the fact that the number one and two spots are Vanderpump Rules people and then we're number four. Yeah. I was like, tells you something where it's like, there's this thing that everybody's paying Mm -hmm. attention to. And then we're right behind that. It's crazy. It's fucking wild. Because then when we, I think we've talked about this before, but like when you scroll down lower in the rankings, it's I'm like. I'm above Jon Stewart. I'm above Pod Meets World. We're above, I mean, Secession. Fake Doctor's we're, Real yeah, Friends. I mean, just like, it's it's crazy. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. And it's been kind of a fun joke because like, you know, probably like a month ago we were hitting like number 25 and mm-hmm. that was like thrilling. I didn't think it would go above that. I never right. in my wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. Like we're four days in from re- recording now since our last episode. We're like 12,000 plays in when before yeah. we got about 6,000 in the first week, mm-hmm. the first seven days, which I was thrilled with. I never right. could have even have imagined that. Yeah. Like I used to post whenever I would post super late. Because I was editing like at night and I would post it at like 1130. I would wake up at like six or seven and then be like, oh, we had like a hundred listens overnight. Like it's (laughs) weird. And now I'm doing the same thing and I'm like, oh, we're at 600. Yeah. In like four hours that I was asleep. It's insane. It's like in eight hours we're getting like 1,200. It's nuts. Yeah. And I was telling Tim, I'm like, you remember (laughs) when I used to say like, like looking up podcast statistics, Mm -hmm. it would say like when you get this many in the first seven days, you're in this percentage. Yeah. And I remember, and not in like a like boo-hoo, like, oh, like Mm -hmm. bad way, but I remember like reading off statistics at Tim and be like, oh, well, we'll never hit that. Yeah. And now we've like, but we have room for growth. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but like now I'm like we've blown that out of the wall. Like it's just crazy. Yeah, but it's been funny because we've been. It's a joke between us now. It's so like he Wednesdays are his worst day of the week. He's got a lot of paperwork, a lot of stuff going on. And we then do he- the company I work for does weekly inventory. So Wednesday we do counts on Tuesday night, and then Wednesday is the day that we're we're looking at all the numbers and trying to make sure that like we're good. So it's a very high stress day. So he was texting me talking about like on top of that they're scheduling a photo shoot and they're scheduling all, like three meetings and like the he was just like day. it's like the worst. And I was like, do they know who they're <laughs> dealing with? I'm like, do they know that they have the number four in TV and film and that your time is precious? <laughs> So it's just this joke where we just yeah. keep throwing it out there. Or like the other day I went to the grocery store. Okay, I'm a frugal person. Always. 100%. Have, I have always been frugal, very careful with my money. Mm-hmm. Holiday season comes around and everything goes away. <laughs> like, I mean, I it's not even in gifts and stuff, but just in fest merriment, if you will. <laughs> but like the rest of the year, very frugal, always yeah. have been. But ever since no longer being in a nine to five situation, I'm even more frugal, right? Oh, yeah. So when I grocery shop, I only buy proteins when they're on sale in the ads. And Hardcore like on sale. My my grocery cart, I don't have the impulse buys anymore. Everything's very pointed, very purposeful. I went to the fucking gro- And mind you, this hasn't equaled, being number four has not equaled money. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> yeah. a number on a fucking screen. Yeah. Uh, but it means a lot to me. But like <laughs> so, something about that gave me an extra fucking pep in my step. <laughs> And the other day I was grocery shopping, I was fucking filling my cart, and I sent a text to Tim, I'm like, look at this, I'm like, this looks like the cart of a number four on TV and filled. <laughs> she was like, supermarket <laughs> sweep, she was like, 
You got to go for the coffee. That's the I, high dollar. I bought item. Fresca, a real treat. <laughs> you know, you know what the big thing was? I bought pine nuts. <laughs> We're gonna have lemon artichoke pasta, and be like, "Well, I'm gonna fucking spring oh, for the pine man. nuts." I feel like in that, what's that movie where the girl wins the lottery with Nicolas Cage? Has the he doesn't have a tip, so he buys the lottery. He tells her, "If I win this lottery." That's it. And she's like, yeah, whatever, because he didn't have a tip for her. He really does win. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? It could happen to you. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Anyway, so it's like when she realizes that she won the lottery, like her big like treat for herself is that she went and bought macadamia nuts and sits <laughs> in her apartment and eats. That's how I felt. I'm like, I bought fucking pine nuts. I am living large. When like we said, got paid. Oh, yeah. When you said Nicolas Cage, all I could imagine was Con Air. And then I just wanted to put the bunny back in the box. That's all I could think ah, of. So. so no. So we're just living large over here. Oh yeah, pine nuts. We w- but we did go and celebrate on Saturday night. Yeah. We went out to eat. We got the fucking seafood tower of success. Yeah. If people are, you we've know, never done that. No, people on like the gram ever. will see. Like we we posted about it. Mm-hmm. But you know, we went out for a nice dinner. We got cocktails. Yeah. We got the seafood tower, and we mm-hmm. just like celebrated it, and. I, I said this on Instagram, but obviously only a fraction of people are on Instagram and then a smaller fraction watch stories. Mm-hmm. So um, I just wanted to thank everybody because I am normally, I was anxiety ridden when we hit a audience size of four, four and 5,000. <laughs> We're at 50,000 now. Yeah. And somehow, and I was nervous and could barely sleep and just like a mess mm-hmm. when we were hitting 25 on the charts and stuff like yeah. that. Somehow, I don't even understand it, but I will take it. Being at number four, I've been calm as I can be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I, it's a calm ish, but it's calm for me. Yeah. I have been calm this week and I never, it's very unexpected, mm-hmm. but welcomed. And I, I really feel like I owe it to everybody who's been so, so kind and so supportive and like sending it just, it's really helped me to just for the very first time this week, I felt like I was able to actually like take it in and enjoy it mm-hmm. and actually like celebrate it and not just be a mess of like, oh, my God, what does this mean? How what what bad is going to happen? What right. you know? So it's all you guys for the reason that I was mm-hmm. actually able to enjoy it this week. So thank you. Yeah. Well, there it is. You were like half there for this episode. <laughs> um. I think one of the important things for us has been, I think when you have less feedback, the negative feedback carries more weight, even if it's illogical or even if it's something that, you know, you don't agree with as a creator, like it's still going to affect you hard because there's less feedback from everybody. And the one thing I will say is I feel like, all of our listeners are very good about telling it like just having real world real people conversations yeah the vast majority of the feedback we get is people that just want to talk and just say normal things and it's not about you know the things that we've talked about about you know creating outrage and kind of these things you're all real people and we appreciate that. And I feel like it's easier to throw out a lot of the the things that are a little bit more illog- illogical when you're like, but think of all of oh, these all great the good, interactions. Yeah, so much good. Like, I, 
I felt I, I want to believe I've turned like this corner because mm-hmm. I even told Tim as he came home today, I've been avoiding reviews. It's not <laughs> probably good for my mental health. Like for my right. mental health, I just avoid it, but I avoid it. But I do get these emails once a week that talk about charting stuff. And I purposely like scroll as fast as I can to get to the part mm-hmm. where I know it's just the charting information and not recent reviews because it shows yeah. that today I didn't scroll quite right. And I saw one where the the title was Ick. ick but like i read it i didn't agree with it Mm -hmm. and tim came home and i told it to him and i was laughing about it and i said all day i just kept going ick in my head (laughs) but um but he was like well i'm really glad this didn't like fuck your whole day and i'm like i know i'm like (laughs) i'm so proud of myself i think you've grown a little bit (laughs) yeah Yeah. i'm like a little house plant that's growing and i I can't grow i can't grow a plant but i'm growing me (laughs) so and I'm doing a gesture right now. <laughs> Tim can I'm I'm doing a growing yep. gesture with my hands. So. I can't hear the term ick without thinking of Bronx beat from SNL. Ick. T M I too much, much ick. <laughs> I know. I wish they'd put you know they just put ick. They could have put T M I too much ick. Too much ick. Anyways, I've rambled. We should probably get into the ap- act blip. Let's do ap- it. It's the time actual episode. The actual the actual episode. <laughs> okay. So, like I said, episode 48. This one is called Duggers and Dugouts. And it premiered August 18th of 2009. The episode starts with Lego saying that they're going to eat dinner and then they're going to head out for broom ball afterward. Mm-hmm. We get to suffer watching Jamesy Bug. Or Jamesy Bug. There you go. Um, now trying right. to serve himself. I'm assuming lasagna, it looks like. Mm-hmm. With a giant spoon. And it's just kind of like, it's slopping and sliding off. And he really gets nothing. It's a, it's a string mm-hmm. of cheese. And uh, he's on the struggle bus. And we see them eating. And I just wanted to know. I had to add this in later. Because I was like, did I see that right? It's the fr- I'm not saying it's the first time. But the first time that I have noticed they're eating off real plates. Oh, really? Because the reason I was like, wait a minute, is because then afterwards they show Michelle loading the dishwasher and it's yeah. real plates. I'm like, did they just... So then I rewound and I'm like, they're eating off of real plates. Which wow. we always see them eating off of foam. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, imagine the landfills from this family. But also, <laughs> to be fair, usually in a reality show type situation, they ask you to do that because of noise. For noise, yeah. yeah. But um, they were eating off regular plates, which probably explains why the showing them eating was very brief. <laughs> <laughs> so this next part cracks me up because we we see, we see a montage of all of the kids kind of cleaning up after dinner, mm-hmm. and there's a voiceover of Michelle saying, "With as many children as we have in our household, it is important that we kill bacteria, especially on the floors." Where little ones are playing and feet and hands are all down there, especially because they follow us a lot. Uh, follow us a lot when we're cleaning and working. We. <laughs> and she, so she puts special emphasis on the floors and feet, which is funny because we clearly have taken notice of both. <laughs> and um, you know, maybe they're trying to course correct a little. Maybe they've noticed. Mm-hmm. What we've noticed. And, you know, I'm like, oh, maybe they're, you know, trying to create this narrative of, like, you know, pushing floor cleaning because they realize there's been some 
you know, <laughs> some lack there. Um, and I did know on one of our visuals when we one of the many times we've done dirty feet at this point, there was one comment that I thought was interesting that they were like, I kind of want to believe it's a like a rebellion of the older girls for having poorly cleaned floors. And I was like, <laughs> you know, if, if there's going to be a positive spin on this, I'm right. like, I'd like to believe that too. They're like, fuck you and your floors. <laughs> I'm only going to mop once this week, you yeah. know, because think of all the dirt coming in all the time. Mm-hmm. Michelle had a piece of fashion accessory that I thought was are fascinating. You, are you talking about her necklace? Yeah. Go for it. She was wearing a puka shell necklace. It's like, it's blue and white. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's like maybe two to three white to a blue. Right. She was wear- she- wearing it in the talking head last week. So it's actually in our visual photos from last week <laughs> because it's in her talking head. Right. But now, like, she's all about the statement necklace. You know, we've seen them several because it draws to the countenance. Mm-hmm. Necklaces are very, if they're closer to your neck, yeah. not long drawn down, they are approved because of the drawing to the countenance. Mm. But I, I, yeah, I definitely think that the puka shell was not on my bingo card. <laughs> and also, but like it's, it happens at the same time that her mm-hmm. hair has changed. I'm like, she is just really doing a 180 yeah. here. Her agent was like, we need to redo your look. You All know. of a sudden, she, when she's at the base and there's 50 people sharing one bathroom, she's like, I'm going to change my hair. Yeah. I'm going to start wearing a blue and white puka shell necklace. And she <laughs> even changes her clothes a little bit. <laughs> so I don't know what it was about that trip to the Bates, but everything changed looks-wise. Yeah. yeah. So then we get confirmation. That, you know, it's the confirmation that we needed to know. That this whole emphasis on clean floors is total bunk. <laughs> because then they are actually show Cannon mopping the floors. Mm-hmm. Which is evidence of bunk all on its own. <laughs> but she's doing it side by side with Jill. Yeah. Uh, and they're both mopping using Swiffer wet jets. Swiffer wet jet. Yep, we got to get that sweet money. So now... We know that it's all a sham. It's been proven. <laughs> they even show her taking the pad off of it. Mm-hmm. And it's really dirty, of course. And she kind of shows it a little bit. And she says, wow. Yeah. They use... This was where um, the documentary pulled some footage. Because it was talking about how, like, the the women in families are forced to do all of the work. And then usually the um, the males get to kind of hang out. And it's a thing of like John David was laying on the couch yeah. and then they like pan to the right and then it was Jill working the Swiffer wet jet. Exactly. That was footage they used in the documentary. So I, I didn't remember that, that. Good catch. Mm-hmm. They showed a, so many clips and I didn't remember that one. So good yeah. catch. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we were right to kind of doubt it and know that it's all a sham. It was all a marketing tactic for Swiffer wet jet. Right. The second we saw Cannon on a fucking mop... I mean that was you're like that was evidence mm-kay. enough. It was sus, and then we were proven that sus was correct. <laughs> so um, the kids are all excited because they're going to go play broom ball, which Lego describes as poor man's hockey. He says that you wear tennis shoes, but you're still on the ice, and you play with a rubber ball rather than a puck, and then rather than. 
like a hockey stick, mm-hmm. you play with a stick that has a wedge-shaped piece of plastic on the end. It's... I thought they actually played with brooms. <laughs> <laughs> you know, by the name, I was like, broom ball. You know? It's such a weird, like, implement, though. Like, it looks like the non-flipper end of an oar. <laughs> yeah. Like, and they all had them, so it's not like... Like, where are they getting these? I know, yeah. Um, And then our poor girl, Johanna... <laughs> She fucking bites it, she man. She eats shit so she, she hard. She does, poor girl. She's pushing a stool and she gets kind of <laughs> caught. Like, it seems like it gets caught, like, maybe, like, in, in a the grout, grout line mm-hmm. or something. So it gets <laughs> caught and then it makes the stool fall, which makes her fall. And then she falls on the stool and then on the floor. Oh, yeah. It was a mess. <laughs> poor girl. <laughs> oh. Does that still count as an our girl, Johanna, even though she was, like, I didn't. It? I didn't mark it at that point. Okay. Oh, Mildred is playing bingo. She just went after my board. Oh, Mildred. Mildred, come here. She's been sitting in my lap while I've been talking. Oh, no. I feel like we're going to have a situation. Now she's... Okay. Now she's sitting on my bingo board. All right. So, apparently, the family goes to play broomball every Friday and Saturday. I had no idea it was such a regular... It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And he says that sometimes they even play basketball, soccer, and capture the flag as well. Oh. Okay, now we get a square. Because John David speaks, but I can't... Oh, good. Mildred moved. Thank you, Mildred. Because um, he's just explaining how broomball works, which is pretty self-explanatory. It's hockey. <laughs> like, right. You know, you're trying to shoot into the other person's goal, the other team's goal. Not that complicated. There's also a phone belt clip in this scene. Um, yeah, I think I have it somewhere else, but we can mark it now. Mm-hmm. Who did you notice it on? Just for... Um, I believe it was when they were showing them playing as Lego Hair was describing it. So I think it was one of the older boys. Okay. So then they asked Jana... Like the camera guy. He says, is it a little difficult to do these athletic endeavors in a skirt? To which Jana replies, um, sort of, but not really. We've always done everything in a skirt, so it's not really hard. Inappropriate attire. Yep. (laughs) But I actually saved it for a little bit for the next thing. (laughs) Because if we were going to maybe use this moment as our inappropriate attire square. Mm Mm-hmm. It's actually immediately followed up by what I think is even a greater example of inappropriate <laughs> attire. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I think so. Because little Jason says, quote, <laughs> first I thought my feet weren't going to get cold, but now they sort of are. I should have wore something else. <laughs> and then the camera pounds down to reveal his Crocs. And they're not like... In good condition Crocs. No. They're busted. No, like, obviously Crocs have holes. We get it, right? Yeah. But, like, it looks like a couple of the holes are connected into one giant hole mm-hmm. on the side. Yeah. <laughs> so, extra airflow. So, he's wearing Crocs on ice. <laughs> so, think of the fact that, like, it's like this rubber on ice mm-hmm. and then the open air and he's not wearing socks. It doesn't look. No. But, I mean, I can't say for a fact, but he's complaining his feet are cold. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I we definitely get an we get a double whammy on the inappropriate attire. Where where is it on my board? Can I tell a minor anecdote about Crocs? Yes. I told you this earlier this week. 
there was a, a thing that came out about the movie Idiocracy, which is a fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, it's made by Mike Judge, who's the showrunner of uh, King of the Hill and um, Beavis and Butthead and stuff like in that era. But he made this movie where it was in the future and there's a guy from our time that went into the future played by um, Luke Wilson. And when he goes, human beings have kind of devolved into very short attention span. Um, Just a lot of the everyone's kind of an idiot. And I think it's used it was used as like where human society could go if we let ourselves be obsessed with like all these things Mm -hmm. and these days people use it as like a it's too real like (laughs) idiocracy (laughs) should have been a movie and not a documentary is kind of the running joke recently you mean a documentary not a movie there you go um so one of the things in it was that the person that was doing the the fashion design for this movie was like i need a a utilitary shoe that everybody could wear that kind of looks futuristic, but also looks kind of dumb. No, I'm not judging anybody that wears Crocs these days. He's talking about facts from this movie person. Exactly. So Wear your shoe, people. Yeah, but this was before Crocs was what it is now. So and they be- thought they were finding something crazy. <laughs> and they were also finding something very cheap yeah. because it wasn't a big brand or anything. So... The film studio was like, should we really use these? Because, like, they're kind of gaining popularity and we don't want to, like, make fun of them in this movie when they might be something really big. And they were like, well, let's just do it now. So if you go back and watch Idiocracy, everybody in that show wears Crocs. And it's supposed to be futuristic. And then now <laughs> and, and now everybody, everybody from the age of two on up is wearing Crocs. Oh, yeah. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. So once again, not judging you if you wear Crocs. You you do you. It's just funny um, how that movie was like, this is wild. This and is now it's j- like the whole fucking population is wearing Crocs. Uh, so it's not that man. wild anymore. Yeah. Yep, exactly. But he had busted ass Crocs. He did. Poor kid. Poor Jason. Oh, Can we get Jason some new Crocs, if, please? If you can't, if you haven't figured it out, definitely go into visuals this week because they do like a total close up of his. And, and as like I was watching, down, I was yeah. like, "Oh yeah, that's that's the picture right there." <laughs> yeah, you know me too. Uh... So they let the little kids play first, and then they let in the older kids to kind of go. Like ham, yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. Jim Bob was like, "It's full contact." Like you know, yeah. they let him go. And did you notice that they had like people that joined them? They're like, so they were glad you brought this. They up. were boys in shorts um, and sleeveless shirts. It was defrauding. And there was females that were playing that were wearing jeans. It was. Mm-hmm. I literally put defrauding young guy in a sleeveless shirt, boys wearing shorts, other girls wearing jeans. How are these Duggar kids going to control themselves? I, I don't even understand how they're playing the game. <laughs> how can they even focus? I if, mean, if they if they can't look at their countenance, how can they even pay attention to a rubber ball? How can they focus when I can see that that guy's game? Farmer tan. <laughs> look at them games. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else on that before I move nope. on? Okay. That's it. So now it moves on to the next scene, and they're at Pest and Anna's house. Mm-hmm. And I am immediately 
<laughs> taken back in time, mm. in my little time machine, as the camera zooms in on an iHome station. Yeah, the good old iP- iPod alarm I clock. mean, I never had an iHome, did you? No. I oh. wanted one so bad, though. And I remember getting my iPod, and I bought it by myself, and it was like years after they were a thing. So I remember buying that myself and being like, now I want to buy something. <laughs> I never did. And it's so big and chunky now compared to like what we're used to, mm. but a big old iHome. Because... Remember the click yeah. of the rotary wheel? Oh, I loved it. I would take it back in a second because I like lo- <laughs> I loved that. Yeah. Ugh, I had a fucking... So I had a little tiny um, pink Nano. But be- Nano. No, before that, where were they when they were really square? Oh. Nano was the thin skinny. Yeah. And where I had pink. I had that second. My the first... shuffle. Yeah, the so, one that didn't have a screen? No, mine had a screen. Hmm. But it was very square. And I remember I put, <laughs> you guys, my era. If, if this doesn't scream my age, <laughs> I had a, one of those puffy zebra. like Oh, all the, like the a, skins? A, yes. Yeah. There you go. I was like, what yeah. do you call it when it's not a case? Yeah, because yeah, it was like because around just, the outside and then the middle button. It just No, it just like attached around the middle button and mm-hmm. around the screen. Yep. And it just stuck on. It wasn't like this full-blown case. Yeah, I had yep. it in Zebra. I think it's still in the... You <laughs> Puffy guys, zebra. I still drive the same fucking car. I have a 2010 uh, Corolla. <laughs> I think it's probably in my center console like right now. If I still have it, I'm taking a picture. Visual. But... um. Yeah, so I had that, and then mm-hmm. when I got the Nano, I was really living large. It's like buying the pine nuts. Like, I was like, <laughs> I got a fucking Nano, a pink one. Oh, but I, anyways, I liked the... Yeah, it was so tactile. Oh, I loved it. Or if you're me, when I said tact... Remember when I said tactical a couple episodes? Tactical, yeah. You know, very tactical. Because you would scroll to the bottom of your list if you had it sort of by, like, artist... And if you had to scroll a long way, you're like, I'm looking for Taking Back Sunday. And it was all because you're scrolling through the I whole I was looking alphabet. for Curse of Curves. <laughs> Where is Curse of Curves? <laughs> all right. Any hoozle. So the reason they're zoomed in on this iHome station that takes me back mm-hmm. is because they're trying to look at the clock. It's 7.41 a.m. And Anna and Pest are getting ready. And Pest is saying how he's not all normally up this early. He would normally get about an hour extra sleep. But they have a doctor's appointment. Another yeah. bingo square. Oh, the doctor. All right. Um, and I just wanted to note that Pest is wearing the Our Apostle shirt. Yes, he is. So normally we've been seeing that on like a Joe and JD. And he's been wearing the real brand in a couple real things. Pastel. So they finally officially acknowledge that Susanna is staying with them for the summer. She's been in all of the recent episodes, mm-hmm. but this is just the first time that they really mention it for, for real. Correct. Just a little side note. So they arrive at the doctor's office and step off the elevator. And this is where I had phone belt clip, but you noticed it first. So mm-hmm. never mind. <laughs> I highlight them in my notes. And so there was, was like, belt clips all around. Who knew that? I didn't realize this one was going to be such a There's so much every stuff. episode thing. <laughs> we also came off of three episodes of watching people watch other people work. So Because when they're at the house and they don't really leave, because there are some episodes that they never leave the house. Mm-hmm. I feel like we don't really see it. It's like yeah. when they go outside the house, then we, and they've been outside the house quite a bit. Le- yeah. You know, it's been a little wild. Mm-hmm. So in a talking head, Pest says that everyone asks if, 
if they're going to give their child a J name. And he said it's not really the direction that they want to go, but they weren't really sure what yet. So then apparently they're at his cousin's wedding and her name is Mackenzie. And they realized that they both really liked her name. So they just changed the spelling and decided that that's what they're going to go with. Which we know would be true, of course. Um, so the name that they're going to name their child is Mackenzie Renee. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Mackenzie inspired by his cousin. And then Renee is also Anna's middle name. Okay. The doctor appointment itself, not really anything noteworthy. We see Dr. Sarver yet again, but not much to report. No. They did say that they wanted to look for a special name. Special. I just thought of the words, everything special. 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 Everything special. And precious. (laughs) So next scene, our girl Johanna says, we're going to the baseball game. She's recovered from her. From her... From her giant trip she went on. From her stool incident. (laughs) Bitches be tripping. Bitches be... She was tripping. Um, So they've been invited to the Springdale Naturals game, which is a minor league Mm -hmm. baseball team. I love minor league baseball. And so then they're just doing that thing that they do where they kind of ask everybody the same question. They're asking what their favorite sport is. Ginger says ultimate frisbee. Mm -hmm. James says hockey. And then Pest, oh, Pest, he <laughs> says baseball is at the bottom of his list, mm-hmm. which is really great fucking thing to say in the episode where you know you've been given, you've been invited for free. <laughs> so it's like you could have just said your favorite and just left it at, left that. It at that and mm-hmm. not been like, you know, I really don't fucking like baseball, but, you know, we've been invited because <laughs> oh, he goes yep. for someone who hates it so much. He sure goes. Yep. Jill, uh, our girl Jill, okay. Her favorite sport is kickball. Mm-hmm. And I got, me too, Jill, I man. Love. I um, I also was a big fan of two and four square. Mm-hmm. So I would, if you will, I'd say I'm a big fan of the, the bouncy ball, the rubber bouncy ball sports. It had such a very like specific like thung when oh, you would kick it. Like that noise was so visceral. I had my own. Thung ball that had like little um it looks like it almost got like colored with the crayon little marks of colors <laughs> and then my sister she has good handwriting had her write whitney on it damn it was, and i brought it with me to school to play two and four square with my friends damn you know shit's real when you bring your own ball i brought my own square. ball it kind of makes me think of okay so the show recess great anyway <laughs> fucking wonderful show Agreed. if you're a kid of the 90s i mean it is art and it holds up it's on disney plus it's amazing it's a great show Mm -hmm. but i was really there for the kickball culture in that show (laughs) they were very deep into kickball culture you know (laughs) they had the king and they played kickball Mm -hmm. i really want to be i want to get a group together and i want to be them for halloween Mm. spinelli you'd make a good spinelli oh i want to believe i'm a fucking spinelli red dress (laughs) a leather jacket some boots and oh i'm a fucking was it the orange beanie? She was the one that had the beanie on, right? She had the beanie. There was Gretchen. Then there was TJ. Oh, so Should good. I be somebody, good? Somebody needs to be Randall. Then there's Mikey, the big kid that can yeah. sing. Remember when he had the episode where he sings so he can yep. only sing in the bathroom? Mm-hmm. So they bring in all the bathroom stuff and then gradually they take <laughs> yeah. it out. And he was like, I did it. 
God, the memories. Such Can I be the show. cranky ass school marm? Um, y- yes, please. I don't remember what her name is. I, but I, I think just it'd be blinked funny. and it makes me mad. And then Randall, <laughs> right? Randall yeah. is her little yeah piece of shit. Mm-hmm. God, what was her name? Oh, people are gonna people are screaming at us right now <laughs> because we can't think of her name. Scream at your ham radios out there, folks. God, what's the name of the crotchety teacher from Recess? Hang on. Um, Pause which this. in the future will be my Halloween costume. Um, it pains me that I did not remember, but it's Miss Finster. Miss Finster. Okay. All right. Future future Halloween costume potentially. Oh, I think that imagine how fun that would be. One of everybody, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> All right, so um, there's a funny part where they ask James, where Jamesy Bug, Jamesy Bug, there it is, um, who Babe Ruth is, and James says, "Who is she?" And then Jason says, "Hmm." <laughs> Babe Ruth is the lady that is inviting us, maybe? Maybe, yeah. And then for a split second, you get excited because you think Josiah, you know, he gets the answer right. So you're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. But then Joy says, he just looked it up on the dictionary. Joy calls him oh, out. She sure shit does. Does this count as Joyce ass? Because I felt like it counted as Joyce ass. I think ass. so, yeah. Yeah, she called him out in his shit. And then they like panned over and you could see him looking it up on the computer. So yeah, she definitely has a little sass with that. <laughs> so I was like, oh, good for him. Oh, he looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me also think of um, Sandlot. Remember mm-hmm. when he Be- was like, he's yep. like, some lady sign when he loses yeah. the ball. He's like, some lady, baby Ruth. And yep. they're like, babe Ruth. But he was mm-hmm. like, baby, like he's like, some lady, baby, baby Ruth. Baby Ruth. So now they're <laughs> now they're arriving at the ballpark and they're greeted by two harlots in shorts. Oh, I t- I put this on here too. Yep. It is. They're wearing like their little like you know navy work polos, but then they're wearing some short khakis. Yeah, they're like the marketing people for like the minor league team or whatever. But I mean, defrauding as fuck. Oh yeah. Sorry. The only thing that, if I can have a real quick go back, the only thing that went through my head was when they're all trying to describe to that kid who Babe Ruth is, and it's the two twins where one of them goes, "The Colossus of Clout," and his brother goes, "The Colossus of Clout." <laughs> yeah. So, FYI, Babe Ruth is the Colossus of Clout. Thank yep. you. Yep. I yield the remainder of my time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're funny. Oh yeah, totally defrauding marketing women oh, yeah. from yeah from this baseball team. But you know what? When they get shit for free, suddenly it's okay. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, as they were following them into the stadium to get free stuff, they're just like, oh, they're just gonna burn in hell. That's I heard <laughs> no big whoop. Yeah. I heard no Nikes being exchanged though. <laughs> like with, you know, like a pass along, like uh, Nike, pass it on. I <laughs> Nike, pass it on. Oh my god! I didn't hear any of that. So they've been given a suite and like it doesn't look like there's a ton of food, but we see Jim Bob eating strawberry shortcake. So I'm kind of Yeah, that was a little random. Like it didn't seem like normally like in suites you're kinda used to like this whole like elaborate setup. But he's randomly eating strawberry shortcake. I have no fucking clue. It's minor league baseball. There's not as much of that. But they're strawberry shortcake. Yep. So they're getting to do all kinds of activities even before the game starts. They let them go down to the practice batting cages that are like down in the basement mm-hmm. to kind of play around. 
And even our girl, Johanna, gives it a go. And she says, I hit the baseball and daddy moved out of the way. It was really fun. So I put this as our girl, Johanna. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And um, Joy lets her feelings be known when she says, girls can play baseball if they want to. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If we didn't have Joy Sass before, we had Joy Sass We did now. now. Full of sass. We get yet another square with a tight-lipped kiss between Lego and Cannon. You could also... I mean, it's arguable that she also had... Do we have a Doring gaze? Yes, I think a Doring gaze and tight-lipped lock. And they make a really corny, corny comment. (laughs) Here Uh, it is. He says, Michelle, I don't think I'll ever be a professional baseball player. To which she says, that's okay, honey. You're batting a thousand with me anyways. Which um (laughs) when when we went out to eat when we went out to eat on Saturday, I posted a video in our stories where I said, um, like I said like congrats on being number four uh, to Tim and um he was like number four and I said, But you're number one to me, honey. And actually somebody (laughs) replied to our it made me laugh so hard. Somebody replied to our stories and was like, I need a lactate from all that cheese. That's real good. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, that so is pretty funny. So uh, take your lactate with what you just listened to. <laughs> That's okay, honey. Uh, You're batting a thousand with me anyways. Oh, man. I do have a question. Is So obviously they gave the family some shirts. Okay, this is a topic of discussion. <laughs> yes, they were given shirts. So a bunch of them are wearing whatever their attire was, and then over the top of it, they have, uh, was it Springdale Naturals? Is that the name of the team? Yeah. Uh, They have a Springdale Naturals t-shirt that they got there. Does this count as matching I was going to ask you, because some are wearing them and some are not, but sometimes we see different age groups, Mm -hmm. and I guess when I go, oh, all the little boys are wearing this, all the older girls are wearing this, does it count when it's just kind of random throughout the family? Right. I mean, how do you feel? I'm going to say yes. Okay. So, Matching I'm going to grab clothing. my little thing of ramen. Um, do you know what that means? Did you just get a fucking bingo? I, I know. I no longer agree. No, no, no. They're not all matching. It doesn't count. Take that off. <laughs> how have I gotten no fucking bingos and you've gotten two? That, ladies and gentlemen, that is bingo number two of the season. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> One, two, three. I'm going to be singing it all night. Damn it. <laughs> A little bit of. Oh, man, that sucks. I've still not got any bingos. I put all this fucking work into this podcast and I never get a bingo. Oh, man. <laughs> Someone was right. Somebody told me that I'm the Jana of this podcast. <laughs> they are right. I put in all the work and I get none of the glory. Oh, man. I'm just kidding. Yep. Okay, so now the whole family gets to throw out the first pitch, mm-hmm. and literally all of them get a ball, and they do it at the same time. So. I loved that. So it's like everybody got to do it. I thought that was charming, because then there was baseballs going everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the person catching it wasn't like somebody from the team, it was the mascot. Yeah. So then my favorite part was with all the baseballs going everywhere, the mascot like fell backwards, and like I thought it was very charming. Yeah. So. Yep. So 
now we are graced with a hilarious scene of Jim Bob very badly explaining how baseball works. And he's got his arm around Joy, and she could not care any less. More Joy sass. Absolutely. She's like that meme where that girl has her arm around that guy. Have you seen it? And she's like, looks like she's yelling into his ear, and he's like staring ahead like, do you know what I'm talking about? You don't know that meme? I've never seen that one, but there is one of a of a man and a woman at like a sporting event. Oh, and, I know what you're talking about, yeah. And he's leaning over and he's like really intensely explaining something to her and she's just kind of sitting there looking well, forward. That's what this well, reminded it, me well, of. Well, in visuals, we can do a three thing. We can Because I was <laughs> yeah, like going to do good. a side. That'll I was going to do a side by side of what I'm thinking of. We'll add in yours and it'll be a three. But like Joy yeah. does not give a shit. But like he's got <laughs> no. his arm around her and he's explaining it and she's just like, oh dear God, make He it also stop. doesn't know what the hell he's talking yeah, he, about. He, like, he's like, and then I think that's called a ball. Like, I mean, he doesn't I even think, know. Yeah. Like, And if it, if it doesn't doesn't go over the plate then it's a uh, uh i think that's a foul ball <laughs> he doesn't and, fucking know. Or, or maybe that's a like you don't know what you're talking he about he doesn't know what he's talking about no. but you know he's gonna mansplain because that's what he does <laughs> and joy's like get me the fuck out of here <laughs> so it's a, it's great definitely in visuals it's, oh yeah it was it's so a good. goodie <laughs> and then um it's it's also around this time that we see anna clapping did you notice this? I did. And I mean, I guess it's clapping, but she kind of lo- she more so looks like she's mimicking like a crocodile. <laughs> you know, it's real wide. It's like in school when they're teaching teaching us greater and less than in mm, math. Yeah, and they were like, "Be the crocodile." And I remember them like <laughs> we'd have to like put our arms out into a V and then close them. It was like greater than blah blah oh, blah. Man. I felt like Anna was in math class, and well, we know they don't get that in the wisdom booklet, so that can't no. be it. She's pre-law, though. So. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. I don't know what the fuck she's doing, but I guess it's called clapping. <laughs> so the kids um, participate in various activities between innings. Nothing at this point worth noting. We'll kind of mm-hmm. get to that later. Then Lego goes to the concession stand, and he orders 20 hot dogs, three Mountain Dews, 10 Pepsis, two root beers, and an orange crush. Mm-hmm. Made me want a hot dog real bad. I love a good hot dog. Tim's wearing his Dazzo shirt right now as we're Hell recording. Yes. We had Dazzo's earlier this week, mm-hmm. and I could go for a hot dog. <laughs> yep. I'm majorly on a hot dog kick right now. Yep. So I was watching this. I'm like, oh, hot dogs <laughs> look so good. Yeah. Every once in a while, you know, a good fucking hot dog. This time if, of year, I just feel like I just want. Yeah. And if you don't remember, you know, it's this local, like, privately owned, like, sugar, Chicago dog place. You know it's legit because there's a bunch of like sun bleached like sports memorabilia in you where know. it's all blue and yellow. <laughs> yeah, and then like they have a like a letterboard menu. Like an, yeah, like a letterboard menu. Everything's like so much cheaper than I feel like it could be. Your ticket goes on a clothesline that they move. Yeah, that they slide down. But my favorite part about buying the shirt, if you don't remember from last time, was that at the very bottom of it, it says all the info. It says where it is and the number and the address. And then in in quotes, it has that famous Dazzo's Doghouse slogan that you can't hear anywhere else. Nowhere else. See you tomorrow. (laughs) That's it. That's their slogan. That is what it says. I just want to make sure we got it right. It is see you tomorrow, right? Because I brought it up to somebody today at work. (laughs) Yep. Amazing place. 
awesome logo. He's literally wearing it right now. See you tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Where am I? Okay. So, um, Joy, Michelle, and Jim Bob, they end up participating in one of those in-between inning activities. Mm -hmm. And it's a tricycle race. This was fun. And this is, again, where it's nice to see Michelle not pregnant for, like, the 25 (laughs) minutes, maybe a year that that she's not pregnant. (laughs) Because she participates, you know, I feel like we get these small glimpses of what she could have been or what Mm. she is underneath it all. Like, we know that she talks about being a tomboy, and then she's involved in a lot of sports, and she did all Mm -hmm. these things. And when she goes 25 minutes without being pregnant... She act. She participates in things yeah. like when she was in the hamster ball, and then now she's in this tricycle race. People without nineteen fucking kids don't do these things. Mm-hmm. And then let's. It's just kind of funny to see her like out there in her in her BBS, <laughs> like on a tricycle, yep. running. You know, doing this little race. Mm-hmm. So it's just c- kind of sad where you're like she she could have been so different. Like yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like funny. I I feel like there's a thing. In kind of society that like mothers never to, never get to eat food fresh or hot, hot. They don't because they're sit. constantly having they to take get, yeah. care of everybody, and then by the time they eat, their food's cold and blah blah blah. I think that's kind of a normal thing, but like with her, it's just to like the nth degree. Except for the fact that she has daughters who do all those things. It's a weird, yeah. it's a weird dichotomy, mm-hmm. actually, to be quite honest. <laughs> Because it's like, well, no, because then she's got Jill and Janet to take care yeah. of that and Jessa and like what so it's weird. But let's just say it, it is interesting just I like the little moments where we get to see her just like having fun and being yeah. fun. And we see that with the kids, and we say that a lot with the kids where they're like, Oh, it was nice to see them just act like Be a normal a kid. kid. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh Joy wins. Michelle is in second place, and Lego, he lags behind in third by quite a lot. Um, And the family, they end up signing a bunch of plush baseballs and throw them out into the crowd at the end. Mm -hmm. And I just really wonder if anybody kept them or if they threw them away as soon as they got home. (laughs) Is that like the the holy grail of Duggar memorabilia would be those signed? You know, if Ginger's diary was up for 100,000, what do you think a plush baseball (laughs) of everybody's Uh, signatures goes for? I mean, (laughs) at least 2460 or something. Oh, yeah. You know, that's got to be worth something. Um, and that's kind of it. Yeah. I don't know if you have anything else, but no. that's kind of it. And Michelle closes it out and she does say, um, another corny line, get or actually cheesy line, take your lactate. <laughs> she says, I think the naturals are a natural. Oh, look at there. She did it. She did it, folks. Yeah. It was good. It was, I think... This Tim always says the L's. He says folks and yolks. And yolks. And I say folks and yolks. <laughs> um I think I love minor league baseball for this reason. Like they don't have the budget that like major league teams do. So usually you get to like be closer to the players, but then they usually do a lot of like fun stuff. You know what I mean? Here in Arizona, because of spring training, we have what's called the Arizona fall league. And it's very much a way where like players can get noticed 
to work their way up the chain. Um, but it is a lot of like, it's it's helter skelter, and what's cool is that they will reach out to major league teams and ask for like leftover like bobbleheads and like memorabilia, and they'll do stuff and they'll give that stuff away, like as much as they can. So if you ever if you ever want to support people that are working hard that are trying to like live their dream, minor league baseball is the perfect way to go. Mm-hmm. There was a spring training that I actually worked for the Chicago White Sox here in town and like it made me respect the grind of minor league baseball players so much because even at that point like yeah they're not making as much money as i bet they wish they would but you know what they're making less money than people that have like a a pretty decent gig but they're also fed every day and they and they're live they're trying to make it you know what i mean yeah so it was a very cool job to work for the White Sox. Yeah, he loved it when he did that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he'd been, all of a sudden, he was a White Sox fan. <laughs> right. Like, I feel like I'm on a minor, like, tangent, I feel like I inherited an American League club because I'm a Diamondbacks fan. But the team was so good, not in the standings, but I mean, to work for. When and you, like, when you make them omelets every morning, you kind of become like, <laughs> yeah, attached. I work like an egg and omelet station. But like, their big thing as a club, and I had heard horror stories from the same company I worked for, uh, fed two other teams that do spring training here in town. And I heard horror stories of people being like people from the team, like being assholes to them and having this, you know, ego about what, you know, where they are in in status and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, you're just like the food service workers. So going into it, I was a little bit scared to be like, oh, am I going to deal with a bunch of assholes mm-hmm. for a month? Um. And the White Sox presented a way where they were like, everything that you do in on the field, off the field, outside of the building, on your own, reflects on all of us as people. So they were like, just be aware that everything you do can can reflect on everybody else that is part of this organization. So because of that, everybody was super nice and grateful. And they were so like respectful to us as like the grubby service staff you know well i remember telling my so my good friend maddie that i worked with um when i told her that she worked with them she was like oh my god because her grandpa was a coach for the white socks i know i told you this i vaguely remember this and so she was like oh my god so it it felt like a double she's like that makes me so happy because her grandpa (laughs) was a yeah like he's got a wikipedia so you know so he was he coached for them and stuff so. so shout outs to the chicago white Sox. yep they're from a not, born and bred Arizonan. Yeah, they're not playing super well, but they were a good group of dudes. Hmm? Back however many years ago that was. <laughs> okay, but, I think that's it for me. All right, that's it for me. We'll see you in a minute. Here's a, a thought that I had last week, but I'm bringing it up now. Okay. How was I 47 episodes in before I was like, huh, this shouldn't be called a deep dive. It should be a dig. Yeah. Why has that not been a thing? <laughs> is it too late when you're 40 ep- 48 episodes in? Mm. Is it too late to rebrand a segment to a dig? I think rebranding is a, is the way to go. We've been because saying deep I dive. Made a, 
because I made some comment about how we had a lot of new listeners, and I said, um, do we call them diggers? Or I was like, welcome to the dig. Well, and I've even like, but in messages to people, I've been like, um, thanks for digging with us. Yeah. But why did that not? <laughs> so are we like, episode 48 rebrand? I Maybe. I don't know. I think we should rebrand. But is it just the dig? Is it? Like, like what the, is it? The I dig? like the dig. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's, yeah. It has a little charm to it. Yeah. All right, guys. So welcome to the dig. Welcome to the dig. God, I can't believe it took us this long. Wow. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, shiny happy people really got me pumped up about future Jeep dives. I just got really excited seeing them lightly touch on things that I already have on my future Jeep dives list, 124 currently. Um, Future what? Oh, yeah. Future dig list. Mm, there you go. Yeah, that's going to take some like work in, you mm-hmm. know? Future mm. Diglets. Heard. That's Dig- a Pokemon. Diglets? Diglet. Yep. Diglist. That'll be for the little ones. <laughs> for the little ones, it's a little Diglet. Yeah, <laughs> um, so my Diglist is up to 124 currently, might, might I add. I, I just can't, I really, I can't, I'm just so excited. I can't wait to get a lot <laughs> of stuff. But after last week, I kind of felt like I needed a little bit of a break from IBLP and or Duggar specific material. Mm -hmm. So we're branching out this week. Certainly not to say that the material is light or wasn't exhausting or didn't take (laughs) me a long time because it still did. But for whatever reason, it just is giving me like kind of the mental break from that stuff. Yeah. I don't know. might be weird, but it's what I needed this week. So today we're going to be digging... Into the life of televangelist Pat Robertson, who died just this past week. Mm-hmm. So right off the bat, I learned something brand new. Okay. Or <laughs> I guess I could say right off the pat. Eh, look at you. Um, because Pat is not short for Patrick. In fact, it's not his name at all. I didn't wow. know. I mean, I never knew. No. Uh, his name is actually Marion Gordon Robertson. Oh, okay. Marion was born on March 22nd of 1930 in Lexington, Virginia to parents Absalom Willis, who just went by Willis, so that's what we'll be saying from here on out, and his mother Gladys, which by the way, Gladys is the name of our camper. Mm-hmm. As we've said, we personify things and we love alliteration. alliteration. So Henry mm-hmm. the Hedge, Pauline and Palmer the Palm Trees, Victor the vac- Vacuum... Gladys is a 1963 canned ham camper, mm-hmm. which is a Go Light brand. So she's yep. Gladys Go Light. Gladys Go Light. Vivian so. Volt is the car that Cammy I drive. Cami Corolla. Cami Corolla. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah. So his mother is Gladys, and then Marion was the second of two sons. Okay. The nickname Pat was derived from his older brother Willis Jr. Patting his cheeks when he was a baby and saying, pat, pat, pat. (laughs) Okay. As he got older, he decided that the name Marion sounded too girly. So he opted to go by his childhood nickname from then on out instead. Okay. Pat's father, Willis, was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 1932 when Pat was just two years old. So we're going to sidestep now for a bit and discuss his father's political career, which we're going to spend a fair amount of time time on. But I actually think giving a background about his father is a pivotal, it's pivotal, I feel, in having a better understanding of Pat as a whole. Okay. 
Um, I know I'm normally a huge fan of telling stories chronologically, but in this case, it didn't make sense to be talking about Pat's life and constantly flipping back and forth between his story and his dad's story. (laughs) Mm. So I'm going to give you an overview of his father's entire political career, and then later we'll pick back up with Pat specifically. Okay. So first and foremost, it's important to address that the Robertson family comes from a very long line of politicians. They're descendants of Benjamin Harrison, founding father of the United States, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, and governor of Virginia. In turn, that means that they're also descendants of his grandson, William Harrison, who served as the ninth president of the United States. Random fact... He's the shortest sitting president in history, as he died just a mere 31 days into office. Yep. And he was the first president to die in office mm-hmm. as well. William Henry Harrison. So just a little, that is his uh, ancestry. Yeah, wow. So then his grandson, also named Benjamin, became the 23rd president of the United States. So he was the grandson of a former president and also a great grandson of a founding father. <laughs> Damn. So there's a lot going on in this family. And I point this out because it clearly has an influence on the future generations and cements their interest in American politics. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to talk about Willis specifically. What you talk about, Willis? (laughs) So much better than Absalom, right? Like, you know, (laughs) because I wouldn't roll off the tongue quite the same. (laughs) Now getting into Willis specifically. He became a lawyer and then served in public office for the first time back in 1916 for the Virginia State Senate for six years. Mm -hmm. After which, that, you know, after his terms ended, he went back to working as a lawyer. Okay. This now brings us to 1932, the time that I mentioned earlier when Pat was two years old and Wills was was elected into the U.S. House of Representatives as a Democrat. Okay. So he made the jump. So he, yeah. So he went on a larger scale. Okay. So, Pat has been quoted saying, I've laughingly said right after I learned to say mommy and daddy, I learned to say constituent. Willis ended up being reelected six times and served in that role for 14 years. Wow. Immediately following that, he is elected to the U.S. Senate, where, spoiler alert, he spends the next 20 years of his career. Wow. Even though politics was Willis's lifelong career, Pat's mom, Gladys, apparently wasn't too keen on this. Family friends of theirs have said that she wasn't ever really into it. You know, she's just not into the whole thing. And even Pat himself had said, quote, she didn't particularly like the life. And we see this illustrated pretty well when the family did at first join Willis in living together as a family in Washington before... You know, she just kind of decided that she wanted to move back to Lexington. So she packed up the boys and she left. Damn. But, of course, Willis stayed behind because he had to work. And he lived in a basement room of a hotel, (sighs) ate his meals at a nearby cafeteria, and sometimes came home on weekends. Wow. So she's just like, nah, none of this. And part of it is that um, she was very religious um, she had a minister for her father mm-hmm. and you just kind of get the vibe in some of the ways that she was talking is that she kind of seemed to think that maybe religion and politics did not like, she just wasn't into like the crossover. Like yeah. she just didn't think that was how, you know, something to be spending her time with. So now I want to give you some insight on his beliefs and political stances. So while Willis's own father was a Baptist minister, 
So Pat has ministers on both sides of his family. Mm -hmm. Willis himself wasn't super religious. Hmm. In the family, kind of like I said, it was Gladys who was the more devout one. And Senator John Stennis of Mississippi, who served alongside Willis for many years, said, quote, Willis had a quote from the Bible for many things, but his true passion was interpreting the Constitution. He almost worshipped the Constitution. Hmm. So that's just one direct quote, but the overall vibe and many things I kind of read was just that Willis wasn't so much a Bible thumper, but that he did use it here and there to his advantage. For, you know, to make certain points that he wanted. Right. But really his greater focus and influence was more on historical government. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm, I'm assuming because of his family ties, that was yeah. like something he was like super mm-hmm. into. So Willis was very conservative and opposed many parts of the New Deal, including Social Security and labor legislation. In 1962, he denounced the Supreme Court's decision to outlaw official prayer in schools, saying the court had just clearly misunderstood the First Amendment and that the words establishment of religion, he says that that referred to establishment of one particular denomination (laughs) and said, quote, if the courts continue to apply the First Amendment to religious affairs of the states, they would undoubtedly sweep us down the broad and easy highway of secularism. (laughs) But I also just want to clearly point out here that this decision of the court was made so that prayer wasn't sponsored and teacher-led, like Mm -hmm. school-sponsored and teacher-led. It's not saying that a kid can't choose to pray while they're at school if they'd like to on their own. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's not part of the school day. Yeah. Like as a class. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So, very different things here. So, Willis was also very vocally opposed to the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Color me surprised. Right? Um, And just because I know we have people from outside of the country, and there's Mm -hmm. Civil Rights Acts for all different years. Yeah. The one in 1964 was to outlaw discrimination based on race, national origin, sex, and religion in the areas of voting, employment, and public accommodations, which would also include schooling. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, the act that put into play outlawing segregation. Desegregation, yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. An October 1968 article in the Washington Post. I had a lot of fun doing the research for this because I read so many old articles. Okay. Like tons of Washington Post, a few LA Times. Mm -hmm. But like it was really fun to be like, oh, this is like, because so many of the things that I research weren't specifically in the news back then. (laughs) Because think about like the things that I'm researching a lot of the time. Correct. So it's kind of fun to research, you know, (laughs) other things, but... So, in a, like I said, October 1986 article in the Washington Post, um, it said, quote, he consistently voted against labor unions and once denounced civil rights uh, laws so vehemently that he dislocated a shoulder gesticulating. Oh, my God. I searched high and low as long as I could before I'm like, I need to move on to see if I could find that somewhere else just to kind of like corroborate it i couldn't but that is according to the washington post in 1986 (laughs) so i'm going with it if that's what they said i'm going to report i'm so angry that you won't let me discriminate someone based off of all of these things i'm going to dislocate my shoulder over it man yep 
So Willis's opposition to this act was sort of the beginning of the end for his political career. <laughs> That's because the first lady at the time, Lady Bird Johnson, <laughs> took it upon herself to get out and campaign for the act on a whistle-stop tour named the Ladybird Special. <laughs> and it's super cute. Like the pictures, mm. there's like a big sign on the back that says Ladybird Special. And she's standing there and like all of her like aides are mm. like in matching dresses. I don't know. It's, it's so old timey and cute. Wow. Like even for the, even for 64, it looks really old timey. Like it's really cute. So another fun fact. I, I love history if people can't tell. That's <laughs> why I've, I've been kind of into this because I like that it's sort of diving, d- diving into or digging in. There we go. To uh, some like history stuff. Some, uh, f- So this was actually the first time in history in the United States that a first lady went out on their own and did this type of thing without her husband. So good on you, Lady Bird. <laughs> she took it upon herself and she's like, I'm going to go promote this act. That's kind of crazy. Yep. Just this grass. Because she wasn't being like, hey, let's come. Let's get your votes. She was just going out there and being like, hey, this is a great idea. Like, yeah, <laughs> you need to damn. support this. Right. I don't know, equal rights for people? Oh, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, what a crazy topic. She's not willing to dislocate her shoulder <laughs> against it, maybe for it, though. Yeah, there you, you go. Know. Yep. So this train tour targeted the South because, let's face it, that was an area that had a lot of opposition to this act. And while many senators were not swayed by her campaign and still voted Mm -hmm. against it, most of them made the effort to at least show up to her little tour and kind of listen to her speech and make face. Mm -hmm. Willis, however, was one of four who refused to show up at all. Oh, my God. And that pissed off President Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm -hmm. So come election time... Johnson took it upon himself to personally recruit William Spong to run against Willis. It's like Sponge, but without the E. Would you say Spong still, or would you say Sponge? Ooh, I don't know. I start. I think when I first started doing it, I was saying Sponge, and I'm like, wait, but there's no E, so is it Spong? But I'm like, or is it Sponge? Well, whatever the fuck this guy's name is, <laughs> William. We'll just say <laughs> William. Um, his campaign slogan was "A Man for Today." which was clearly a jab at Willis for not progressing with the times. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of an out with the olds in with the new messaging throughout his com- campaign. Mm-hmm. And he did win, but it was narrow by just 611 votes when over 400,000 votes had been cast. Damn. But either way, mm-hmm. this ended Willis's political career in 1966. And he even ended up leaving office early Oh, like damn. earlier than he had to. So someone was feeling a little mopey and wounded. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean that's the the campaign slogan thing is good, but you the, he could have uh bought into so many of the sponge memes, you know. He could have been like let's clean up this mess, William Sponge. But we don't know um, that it's not Spong. <laughs> but it does it. He could have rebranded just like the dig. Right. Yeah, let's clean up this mess, soak it all in, William Sponge. <laughs> Let's so, let's ring it out, do, do William think, Sponge. Do you think that his uh, ancestors are listening? They're like, no, no. Like his grandson <laughs> is like, what the fuck are you saying? All right, Frederick Sponge, if you're out there listening. We apologize. We don't know if it's Spong or Sponge. 
We might love to have you on the pod, Williams. Frederick Sponge the third. So, um, yeah, so he's kind of mopey, but it okay. ends his long career, his 34 years in federal okay. um, Damn. politics. So I know that was a lot, but I feel like it's entirely relevant to Pat's life story. Kind of an apple and tree situation, if you will. You know, falling apples, trees, <laughs> you know. So getting back to Pat, he attended prep schools, including McCallie, um in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which was a military prep school from which he graduated in 1946. Okay. Which mathematically, that means he was 16 and like finishing up high school. So anyways, uh, when the draft was reinstated in 1948, Pat enlisted in the Marine Reserves to avoid being drafted by the mm. Army. Being in the reserves, he was able to stay stateside for quite a while. And then in 1950, he earned a bachelor's degree in history from Washington and Lee University. During his college years, he was known to be a big fan of the ladies. (laughs) He loved to drink and he loved to play poker. Okay. He did end up going to Korea for some time, and then upon returning to the U.S. in 1952, he was promoted to first lieutenant. More on this later. (laughs) It's also the same year that he attends the Democratic National Convention with his father. Just a little detail I wanted to throw in so we can see his... Development. Yes. Mm -hmm. Then, Pat begins attending Yale Law School, where he meets Adelia Elmer who goes by Dee Dee, which is the only thing I think Tim's thinking the same thing as me right now. <laughs> when I hear the name Dee Dee, all I can think of is Dexter's Laboratory. My sister Dee Dee. My stupid sister Dee Dee. <laughs> That's all I can hear the whole time. Dee Dee. We had a conversation the other day about how like that era of like Cartoon Network was like, an, it was such an era. It was. That art style, that like Gendy Tartakovsky, like hard angle art style. Amazing. And I was like a little older or just not, but I watched it because of my niece. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. But my stupid is either Didi. So um, a little background about Didi. <laughs> she was born into a Catholic family in Columbus, Ohio. And Didi worked as a model and part- I, I will stop. I'll, I'm done saying that. Um, <laughs> she worked as a model and participated in beauty pageants, even becoming Miss Ohio State. Wow. She had received her bachelor's degree from Ohio State in uh, social administration. Okay. And she was studying for a master's degree in nursing when she met Pat at Yale. So she was pretty well-rounded and, like, you know, like, educated and stuff. About 18 months after meeting, the couple eloped, saying that neither family would have approved. (laughs) And in some interviews specifically, they cited her being Catholic as part of the reason. Right. But overall, the messaging was... Families wouldn't approve. Okay. More on that later, too. (laughs) Pat graduated from Yale Law School in 1955, but failed the bar exam. He didn't really care, though, because he never actually intended to practice law. He thought that he would have a political career. Mm -hmm. Instead, he ends up a partner in an electronics company. Electronic gizmos. Gizmos. (laughs) But he's kind of flailing during this time. He said, quote, I had hoped to find a noble cause, but there was an 
but there was an emptiness in my life. Hmm. Basically, he seemed to be struggling with things, not panning, panning out like how he had planned. Yeah. He's sort of searching for something, and one night, as they're getting ready for bed, he turns to Dee Dee and says, you know, <laughs> see, you know, you can't stop. Nope. Um, you know, I really feel God wants me to go into ministry. <laughs> this is pretty out of left field, because even though he was raised by a very religious mother... Up to this point, he was much like his father, not very, you know, not all that mm-hmm. religious himself. Yeah. Part of Dee Dee's response shows just how non-religious they were when she said, quote, I guess if you're going to think seriously about going into ministry, we ought to start going to church to find out what that's all about. <laughs> so a month later, he travels home to tell his mom, thinking that she's going to be really happy about this decision. But Gladys said, quote, Pat, something's wrong. I don't think you have the slightest idea what you're talking about. Damn. And she goes on to basically say kind of, you know, the same thing. Like, you're not remotely religious. How Mm -hmm. can you be a minister? Damn. A week later, Pat received a phone call from a man by the name of Cornelius Vanderbregen. Ooh, good name. A Dutch missionary that Gladys had reached out to. Pat and Cornelius meet for dinner, and at first, Pat is mortified by Cornelius handing out pamphlets to the waiter, pulling out his gigantic Bible and setting it on the dinner table. But after conversation between the two of them and some stuff that like, okay, so here's, I'll just explain it. So basically, he gives that pamphlet to the waiter, the waitress. He's embarrassed. The waitress comes back over later and says, excuse me sirs (laughs) i'm inserting that but she's just like excuse me a lady at this other table wants to know what you guys are talking about and then he's like oh yeah and then she's like i gave her my pamphlet so can i have another one (laughs) this all sounds very sus to me yeah like i feel like cornelius (laughs) did uh did the waitress give him a free van i know right or like a new engine (laughs) Uh, maybe a swing set i don't know maybe a wood chipper yeah but uh it's just i don't know the story i'm not sure how much i'm buying it as far as cornelius not having something to do with all that i don't know but um this kind of makes him change his tune and he leaves this dinner a changed man wow one dinner huh he didn't have to put out (laughs) So the next day, when Pat arrived home from work, he burst into the door saying, Dee Dee, I'm saved. Dee Dee. He whisks her up off the floor and lifts her up. And, to which Dee Dee replied, Pat, you're drunk. <laughs> he goes on about being a changed man. And Dee Dee said, quote, Pat, I believe in Jesus too, but I don't go around shouting like a fanatic. And while we're talking about it, did you take the picture off the wall? I found it outside by the trash can. That's because the night before, when he returned home from this, you know, magical dinner, he tore their Modigliani nude print off the wall. Smut. Later that night, Pat begins pouring out their bottles of whiskey down the drain. And Dee Dee said, have you completely lost your mind? That stuff costs money. What are you doing? And he tells her he's not going to drink anymore. 
and she says, well, maybe you are not going to drink anymore, but I feel like I need a good stiff one right now, the way you're acting. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I'm like, what about her? Just because you've lost your mind and become a religious nut doesn't mean I have to go crazy, too. Zing. So now I tell this story because it's most entertaining, but really, Dee Dee is having a genuinely hard time coping with the sudden and drastic change in Pat. Mm-hmm. Like, she's like, there's nothing wrong with drinking. And he's like, yes, there is. And she was just like, I'm fine. Like, I don't need any more. And he's telling her, yes, you do. Like, so now oh all of a God. sudden over one night, mm-hmm. he's just like, I'm completely changed. I'm better than you. Oh, you yeah. need you need God. You need to be saved. And she's just like, I'm fucking fine. Like, literally, she's just like, I feel fine. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, no, no, I'm telling you, you're not fine. Come read this. Over one fucking dinner, she goes to bed. And everything changes overnight. Wow. So she really is genuinely having like a hard time coping with this. <laughs> she even says, quote, do you expect me to sit around this house all day and take care of the baby and then listen to you read the Bible when you come home from wherever you've been? Damn. I don't think you're you going into. I don't mind you going into ministry, but all this save stuff is too much for me. If you think I'm going to put up with this the rest of my life, you've got another thing coming. Dee Dee is spitting some shit right now. I'll go back to Ohio. I want my children to grow up in a normal home. (laughs) So she's like spitting fire there for a minute. Um, But Dee Dee doesn't end up leaving to go back home. But it's actually Pat that ends up being the one to leave for a period of time. Hmm. He finds a buyer for his portion of the electronics the electronic gizmos business. Gizmos. You always say that perfectly. That's exactly <laughs> how he said it. Uh, so he finds a buyer for his portion, and he begins preparing for a month-long stay at Campus in the Woods, which was an InterVarsity Fellowship summer camp, telling her God would take care of her while he was gone. Oh, my God. Mind you, they already had one child, and Dee Dee was just eight weeks away from her due date with their second. Oh, man. So a grown-ass man, married with one child and another very on the way, (laughs) leaves his family behind to attend Christian summer camp. (laughs) Husband and father of the year, ladies and gents. Dee Dee even said, Pat, I've tried to adjust to this saved jag you're on, but you're becoming a fanatic. All you do is read that Bible all day and sit around and talk to Jesus. I'm a nurse. I recognize schizoid tendencies when I see them, and I think you're sick. It's just not normal for a man to walk on his wife and leave her, leave her with a small child when she's expecting a baby any minute, while he goes off into the woods to talk to God. God doesn't tell people to do things like that. At least my God doesn't. Ooh, man. TD spitting fire. A little mustard, huh? I love it. After his summer at sleepaway camp. Oh, my God. Pat returns home just in time because two weeks later, Dee Dee gives birth to their daughter, Elizabeth. He then moves the family to Queens to live in a commune after he says God told him to sell all of his possessions and minister to the poor. So giving up their home and moving into a roach-infested commune took care of that first part. <laughs> But for the second part, he begins attending the New York Theological Seminary. Sounds like around this time, Dee Dee had pretty much come around. And by now, she um, 
She herself had become a born-again Christian after an experience a few months later. So it seems that the tension is gone and she's on board for the most part. Which that is, is really- a wide swing. My only thing, though, here's what I wonder. Like, some of the parts that I left out that I read, because this is out of, I'm, I'm cross-referencing their autobiographies for these okay. stories, okay? Mm-hmm. And there's a part where she tells him, like, she's, like, crying to him saying, look, I've tried to, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to be with it, but I can't take uncertainty. And she's, like, sobbing to him saying, like, mm-hmm. I just need a plan. I'm, like, how much of it d- was it just, like these are the times you don't get divorced. My husband's on a fucking thing. If mm-hmm. I don't decide to be in this, I'm going to be miserable, so I yeah. might as well. Maybe she did have a religious epiphany. I don't mm-hmm. fucking know, but I can't help but wonder if it's... I just have to get on board. Like the social side of it is what was promoting that. Yeah, and we're just like, I could be miserable for the rest of my life or I could just get on the train, you right. know? yeah. So, uh, you know, I'll always wonder for her. Yeah. <laughs> well, because she, she was so, like, she was coming in hot all those other times. And then to hear this change of heart, you're like, what actually happened? Like, well, how? There's like, even a part where she talks about how he's fucking useless in her book. That she was like, he didn't help with anything. And she was like, you know, up I was a northerner. And northerners husbands helped a little bit more. She said, I couldn't help but notice the further south we moved, the less the less he helped. And so, like, she oh was kind of, like, talking. Like, even in this book years later, she's uh, kind of, like, in, like, the 80s. She's talking, like, mad shit where she was just like, yeah, he's pretty fucking useless. Wow. But it's like, I think that she just, it makes you feel like she just was like, you know what? If I'm going to try to have a happy life this is what i gotta do yeah wow but we'll never know but um anyways pat graduates from the seminary in 1959 that same year gladys informs him of a local uhf station that had gone bankrupt and was for sale for thirty-seven thousand dollars. pat says god tells him that this is his next step in life and he packs up Dee Dee, and they're now three children and moves back to Virginia. Pat had only $70 at the time. (laughs) So the funds to buy the station were made up of donations and investments from both individuals and churches to cover the, oh, what, like $36,930 that was left. (laughs) God. That was his GoFundMe. Yeah. So the Christian Broadcasting Network was formed on January 11th of 1960, called CBN for short, which everybody's mm-hmm. probably heard. Oh, I just lost my spot. Okay, I just found it. Um, and it first went on air on October 1st of 1961. Also, a little side note, it was also that same year in 1961 that he was officially ordained as a minister of the Southern Baptist Convention. So He didn't have to pass the bar like last time? <laughs> No. The The station struggled at first, and the quality wasn't great. Pat's son remembers staff members of the station being sent down the block to a drugstore that had a television just to make sure the signal was coming through. <laughs> and as you can expect starting out, viewership was small, and by 1962, the station was struggling financially to meet the $7,000 it required to operate every month. Damn. So they began hosting telethons to raise money. Pat set the goal of having 700 members that would pay $10 a month in support of the station. 
Okay. Those members were referred to as the 700 Club. Mm, there it is. Ding, ding, ding. By 1966, inspired by the donor's nickname, they started a show of the same name, the 700 Club. In the beginning, the show was more of a variety show that had music, Bible study, and interview segments. Initially, the show was hosted hosted by alternating guests, which were Pat himself and none other than the one and only Jim Baker. Wow. Jim and his wife, Tammy, also had a children's variety show on the channel called Come On Over. (laughs) And the success of that show is why Pat had Jim as a host on the 700 Club. Damn. In 1972, the Bakers left the network, and um, that's a whole other story on its own that we're just not going (laughs) to even get into today. But in 1972, the Bakers left, and Pat took over as the main host of the 700 Club from then on out. With this also came a change in the program formatting and style. Pat cut down on the music and preaching, and it made it a little bit more talks, like talk show style. Mm -hmm. The show continued to evolve, and by the late 70s, it became far more political in nature. And then by June of 1981, it had more of a news magazine format, is what people kind of call it, with more news and opinion segments rather than anything else. So that became the majority. In 1982, Pat began dipping his toe into the political world. Um, beyond discussions and coverage on his show, mm-hmm. by serving on President Ronald Reagan's Task Force on Victims of Crime. Interesting. By 1986, though, he was fully in it and announced his intentions to run for the Republican Party's nominee for the 1988 presidential you know, election. Man, so he didn't even like work no. his way up. He was like, nope. <laughs> and like most most people are like have done something and he's just like, I'm going to run for president. <laughs> a city council. Um, I'm going to run for president. That'd be like Can can somebody put him on like the managing board of his like gym or something? Can we right? start somewhere small? <laughs> so, he did say though that he would only run if he got 3 million people to sign a petition saying that they would support his campaign. And they did, so he ran. Wow. Most of his campaign points were pretty typical of a Republican candidate at the time. Mm -hmm. Opposed to abortion, opposed to welfare, and like his father, in support of prayer in schools. Pretty par for the course, nothing too exciting on those counts. Mm -hmm. But um, the points were that (laughs) that were kind of like all his own were one where he thought that there should be tax breaks for the, quote, stable family unit. Oh. Which means families where the wife stays home. (laughs) And also his belief, this is sick, his belief that landlords should be able to discriminate without criminal penalty against people with AIDS. Oh, my God. So he's a real piece of shit, isn't he? Wow. So now we're going to talk about the things that surfaced during his campaign. The more on that laters from earlier. (laughs) The first revelation was that his oldest son, Timothy. Awful name. Was conceived out of wedlock. (gasps) Mildred, go get your pearls. We need something to clutch. She really does have pearls for the people that are on Instagram. They've seen it. Yep. Um, Mildred, get your pearls. We got clutching to do. (laughs) 
Um, so Timothy was born November 6th of 1954 mm-hmm. and the Wall Street Journal. This is where I said I had so much fun like reading the original. Like mm-hmm. I was like geeking out over like fucking old Wall Street old Journal. <laughs> like I'm so into it. I was okay. looking I was looking at the digitized and then also like the actual like yeah, it was just so fun. Um so Timothy was born on the, oh, okay, sorry. The Wall Street Journal broke the news that Pat and Didi had been married just 10 weeks prior on August 27th. Previously, even in taped interviews, Pat had claimed their wedding day as being on his birthday of March 22nd. Okay. You got to hear how he sp- his spin on this one, though. It's pretty, it's pretty rich. He said that, you know, he and Dee Dee always considered his birthday to be the day of their marriage because that was the day his son was conceived. And that the legal marriage in August was, quote, to us, wasn't any big deal. <laughs> you, There is so much mental gymnastics going on. Right I don't know why anybody's questioning it. I mean, right. I feel like it's very easy to understand. Right. Makes sense to me. I mean, boning equals marriage, right? You know, it's the same thing. What's what are people not under? What do you, what do you not get? That is a that is a stretch. <laughs> a little bit. Oh man. So here's the thing. I, I get that back then it was very looked down upon and considered unacceptable. So maybe you wouldn't rush to share the news. Mm-hmm. But he outright lied about mm-hmm. it as both a political public figure and an evangelical one who had actively railed against premarital premarital sex in his teachings and on his TV show. Oh, man. To which he never once fessed up to having done it himself, especially when it's so easy to figure out. <laughs> because it's not like they just boned under the radar and like someone had to have seen it happen, you know? She got pregnant. There's an act. There's a. There's actual evidence. Their son is actual evidence. <laughs> you know of like that this happened, and he did. He didn't even bother pulling the. Well, that was before I was saved. Card, like he could have. You know what I mean? Like he could have at least been like, oh well, back when I was like this, but now I'm not, and learned from. You know, he just fucking lied. Oh man. So it's not about like. Fine, go. I don't care. Have fucking premarital. It's the fucking hypocrisy of it all. It's yeah. the lying and the hypocrisy. Yeah. And then just the digging in, like the digging oh, in. Oh, well, of... you know, that's our wedding day. So anytime anybody else is having sex, is that their wedding day? Is it just for you? <laughs> so it's okay for you. Yeah. Like God was there, like uniting you as in, you know, holy oh. matrimony. Okay. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> it's It blows my mind because it's, once again, it's just like the. All that could have gone away if you away if you would have just said, yeah, you know what I mean. You would have just talked to it and put some light on it, rather than like this whole thing. Because now you're trying to just keep it going. Oh yeah, he digs in, which I appreciate digging in, but you're just not <laughs> right. You know, it, it explains the earlier talk of how neither of their families would approve, mm-hmm. and why everything like everything I read. Up until that was like, well, and then 18 months later, they would. Yeah. Like things were specifically, it seems like for a while it was like specifically not putting out the date and then he mm-hmm. started to say it. So um, I also think that the whole her being Catholic thing was a lot further down on the list than the whole pregnant thing. So I'm just going <laughs> to go out on that limb. 
that may be why the families didn't approve. Yeah. Um, also, for that time, it's very odd that they waited so long to get married. Because normally, in that time, when a girl found out that she was pregnant, you got married ASAP. Shotgun wedding. Yeah, people tried to act like <laughs> it was possible that like you got pregnant the next day. Like You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Exactly. That's what they were trying to pass off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, to wait until she's 10 weeks away from giving, giving birth was not typical and just makes it that much more interesting. Yeah. Color surprise. Pat Robertson is a fucking hypocrite. <laughs> We're all shocked. <laughs> oh, man. I'm dying. What does he say? Iago? Um, oh, Iago. I'm dying goes, of not... Why, why am I not surprised? Look at me. I'm dying from not surprise. <laughs> That's basically it. <laughs> So the second more on that later that surfaced during his presidential campaign was in regards to his service in the Marines. More specifically, how Pat was claiming to have been in combat. Oh, God. Like he, that, oh, he was on combat duty. Right. Um, saying things such as enduring long, grueling marches to toughen the men and combat in the hot and dusty, then bitterly cold portion of North Korea. So he had very vivid... Description. Descriptions of this combat that he was in, okay? Okay. Fellow former Marine and also former Republican Congressman Pete McCloskey came forward calling all of this bunk. Bunk, there it is. He had seen Pat make these claims previously, both on his show and in his autobiography, which I read and was painful. Um <laughs> But Pete had, you know, he finally decided enough was enough. And seeing it used in his campaign literature just sent him over the edge. Damn. So McCloskey said that he, Pat, and three others were pulled off a Korea-bound ship and taken to a base in Japan following a phone call Pat had with his then-senator father. Oh, damn. Daddy got him out of war. McCloskey said... Um, He had, quote, a single distinct memory of Mr. Robertson waving goodbye from the dock at Kobe, Japan, and telling us that his father had pulled some strings in Washington to keep him out of combat duty. Wow. So the idea behind this was basically that in order to make it, like, a little less obvious, they pulled, like, four of them. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. So it's not like we're pulling the one just that, the sun. Like, and so like the rest <laughs> hey, of them get just, your buddies. Yeah, the rest of them got a little bit lucky that they're like, all right, like we're. You know. They're like, I just sat here because there was no empty seats over there. That's <laughs> right. awesome. So two other men came forward in support of McCloskey's story. Um, one of which was named John Gearhart, who said, "Quote: It was generally understood we were pulled off because of the good fortune of Pat's influence." More than anything else, it disappoints me that Pat denies ever making any phone calls. I wish he would have just would just state that sure he made the phone call and let it go with that. Hey, sounds familiar. You mean he dug in and yeah, and God. and this guy was like, I got no skin. He's like, I don't have an axe. He specifically said the the like the phrase, I don't have an axe to grind. He was like, I don't have a problem with you. I actually still kind of consider you a friend. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but it just pisses me. Out. Like, so he joined in this other guy. He's like, can you just fucking tell just the truth? Just admit it. McCloskey man. was a little bit more trying to like 
burn it to the ground where mm. Gearheart was more like, can you just like, you know. Wow. Um, this next part, I read it at some point. Somehow I lost the pin of like, I, I lost the website and I searched again. I couldn't find it. So I can't give you verbatim. But there was a point that, like, McCloskey seems kind of funny in general. Okay. Um, And there was a point where he was just like, I don't know. And then I saw, basically, he was saying something along the lines of, like, I saw him spewing this lie on, I don't know, 400 club, 400 something, 700. Like, he just, like, started rattling all this stuff. (laughs) 400 club. (laughs) (laughs) But he was just like, I couldn't take listening to him lie about this yet again, basically. Oh, man. It kind of reminds me of, like, the Gil Bates thing where... Like, Gil Bates needs to have a story. It's that same thing. Like, he couldn't just say that, like, that was a rough time for service people or whatever. No, he had to paint this picture that he was on the battlefield. Yeah. And, and No, you in weren't, the dust, man. In the cold. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Pat, of course, he denies this up and down, saying that he would never do such a thing and that his father would never do such a thing. He would never ask his father to do such a thing. He would never. You can tell this really ruffled his feathers. And, uh, oh, that bird is a liar because he's a liar. (laughs) Um, So his, his, you know, he's ruffled (laughs) because he didn't just stop it there just by denying it. Nope. Uh, he decides to sue McCloskey for oh, libel to the tune of $35 million. It's a slap suit. In, in the 1980s. Think of yep. $35 million. Uh, Pat ended up eventually dropping the lawsuit. Uh, and he was conveniently able to claim it was so he could proceed with his campaign and not be forced to choose between the two. Oh, man. Because ironically, the trial date was set for Super Tuesday, Election Day. Oh, man. So it was very convenient for him to be able to make that claim and sound like real noble, you know? Oh, yeah. But in reality, there was actually just more than enough evidence to support everything McCloskey had said. (laughs) They literally had letters from his dad to the Marines thanking them. Oh, my God. For keeping his son... (laughs) Out of combat and saying things along the lines of, and I hope he gets out of there before they might actually kind of have to send it. Like, basically just... We got the receipts, bitch. <laughs> yeah. And then on top of that, they actually had, you know, records of his job, mm. which he was an assistant. That's fine. <laughs> there are assistants in the Army that mm-hmm. are in the Marines. That is fine. Just yeah. don't say you're something else. Uh, we're one of... I'm totally honest. I, I, I found this on multiple sources. Mm-hmm. One of his main duties was literally to keep the officer's mess stocked with booze. (laughs) He literally traveled every few weeks to restock alcohol as part of a main duty. So, um, a far cry from combat. Well, what you didn't seem to put together is that it was a grueling march between the office (laughs) he worked in and either the, the PX or the liquor store. You know, it was a grueling march. It sounded like he had to travel to another country to get the booze. Mm-hmm. Sometimes so, it was cold. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> and you dusty. Know. Remember, and- dusty, <laughs> dusty. It's dark and dusty. dusty. Yep, that's a Toy Story reference, by the way. <laughs> uh, so back to Pat's actual presidential campaign. <laughs> he was largely considered as a joke amongst the political Damn. analysts at the time. 
they were just like this guy's like, because he did he came out of nowhere it's like mm-hmm. yeah you're on a fucking tv show but they were just like at the time people were not taking him seriously and he actually fared better in the early stages of the campaign than anyone expected okay he actually did well in the iowa caucuses coming in second behind bob dole ahead of george bush damn so it was a little shocking but ultimately the details are informant ultimately he didn't make it past that super tuesday the Mm -hmm. should have been trial date (laughs) and his campaign came to an end and he returned to hosting his tv show the 400 club or whatever (laughs) yeah uh not that he would have won anyway i really don't think he would have but many thought the whole marine scandal certainly didn't help him But just because Pat wasn't elected into office doesn't mean Pat was done influencing politics. Of course not. Immediately following his unsuccessful presidential bid, Pat founded the Christian Coalition, which was a Christian right organization with 1.7 million members whose major focus was campaigning for conservative political candidates. Mm. They began producing and distributing distributing what they called nonpartisan voter guides oh, to right. Christian churches. Spoiler, these voter guides were not bipartisan at all. They were very partisan. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like when they're pushing them like that, it's like me going, I don't want to say something really dumb. And you know I'm about to say something real dumb. Like yeah. they're these are totally not partisan. But they were actually really partisan. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, complaints that they weren't, as they said, led to the IRS denying them their tax-exempt status application in 1999. This came after 10 years of them being in limbo. Wow. So their way around it in the meantime, not super important, was that they just had states do individual ones. And then okay. they had them do like social things so that they could be mm. exempt in this other, you know, they just had their like loopholes, right? Mm-hmm. But they were still trying to get it as a big, yeah, uh, as a whole, they were still mm-hmm. trying to get this tax exempt status for 10 years. Wow. Um. So yeah, they were just like, no, you're... This is directly involved in politics. You cannot consider yourself tax exempt. We deny this application. Later, though, in 2005, they were able to secure tax exempt status. But this came with limitations in the wording that they could use on those voter guides, which I'd love to look up at some point. I did not have time. Mm. This was already deep enough. But I was <laughs> like, oh, I'd like to know like how limiting. It's probably not limiting enough right. to, to me to be considered tax exempt. But mm. what the fuck ever. Um, the coalition was also sued by the federal federal election committee for its coordination with the Republican Party, but a federal judge later dismissed the case. Go figure. They were also fined for improper financial aid of a campaigning senator at one point as well. So there's been oh just a this is just to give you an idea. There's been a mixed bag of mm-hmm. legal and controversial things with this Christian coalition. Um, Despite the controversy, though, their tactics worked, and the coalition is largely credited with helping flip Congress to Republican control for the first time in decades back in 1994. Um, Pat himself ended up leaving in, I think, 2001, but it Mm. does still operate today. It operates a little bit differently, and they changed the name slightly, but Mm. it's the same idea. It's the same stuff, yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. Now, just to kind of close it out, I'm going to rattle off some of the batshit insane <laughs> Pat has said over the years on his TV show, in interviews, whatever. Just some of the bullshit he's spewed. Mm-hmm. And I feel like these are the things that Pat is kind of more known for. Like, one of the things that the general public yeah. just kind of knows. Um, so I'm just kind of do going to do it quickly. I wanted more so today to focus on the parts of him that I thought people didn't know as much, which mm-hmm. was all of that background. I have memories of the the 700 Club um, coming on UPN when I was a kid. And then ABC Family when we were older. Yep, which here in Arizona was uh, Channel 45. Of course. Yep, and it was Channel 45, and I would watch Star Trek on there. So it would be like Star Trek Voyager, and then they would usually play like a classic Star Trek episode from TOS, and then I would wake up to turn the TV off at like 1.30 in the morning, and the 700 Club was playing. Well, the funny thing is, I just remember when it came on, it was, oh, time to change the channel. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I don't even think I really knew it was religious. I mm-hmm. think I was just like, oh, it's fuck- It's old people shit. I just saw like a guy at a news desk kind of, and I was like, yeah. this is old people shit, change the channel. It was like MASH. It, like no, we had the yes. conversation about MASH. Whenever, MASH always came on on like mm-hmm. the WB after my, or maybe it wasn't WD, but it always came on off- after some of my shows when i was a mm-hmm. kid once that helicopter came and doom 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 yeah boom doom i was like oh old people shit and i changed yep. the channel ironically now one of my fucking favorite shows of all yep. time can't say the same for the 700 club mm-hmm. but yeah it was that same thing where i was just like here comes yeah fox 10 used to play mash that's what it is two episodes after the news so that might be what it maybe they that would was do the it. 10 o'clock news and then as soon as the news was over at like 10 28 I don't watch the news. I don't watch the news. Or MASH. <laughs> that little kid. But I love MASH now, so it's ironic. All right. Are we Are we going to get into the rapid fire yes. bat shit hits? Um, so like I, I bat w- shit hits. <laughs> yes. Pat shit stuff. Patch, bat shits Pat, something patch. for the 450 club. Yep. Because <laughs> um, like I said, I wanted to cover those other things, but I feel like addressing this stuff really brings it all together mm. to paint the full picture of who pat really is as a person and now you can kind of see where those views started yep all right i'm ready my body is ready he says that feminism encourages women to kill their children and practice witchcraft wow what's wrong with witchcraft like really no for real (laughs) i watched buffy and charmed sabrina the teenage witch (laughs) sabrina yep the witch, you know, witch culture in the nineties. Ugh, oh my god. Um, what's the, the the coven? Teen witch. Hocus pocus. I mean, what Come is on. not great? Witch culture of the nineties is great. I'm a proud proponent of witch culture. Yes. I th- I keep I keep thinking of elf. Yeah. <laughs> elf culture. <laughs> you know, there's something specific though. I have to say to nineties witch culture. Oh yeah. It's a it's its own mm-hmm. thing. It's the I, best. I agree. Okay, so um, then the next one, homosexuality goes together with Satanism and activism for Adolf Hil- Hitler. No, oh. it's all the same. Oh yeah, because you know, you know, Adolf was a was a big fan of the LGBTQ community. He wanted a vomit button on Facebook for pictures of kissing gay couples. Oh, that one seems really dramatic. Very. It's so old people to talk about Facebook, too. I mean, God. <laughs> At least talk about Instagram. At least, you know, Instagram. It's like in your 30s, uh, you do Instagram, you know? 
Is that why we use Instagram? Well, I think the last time I posted something on Facebook a month and a half ago, my old coworker friend Kevin was like, oh, good, you are still alive. I'm like, you're fucking old. Get on Instagram. Because he was like, I feel like I just don't know what's going on. I'm like, get on Instagram. You're old. I miss Kevin. (laughs) I know. Um, He says that a man who has a wife with Alzheimer's, you know, he should be able to leave her and remarry. Wow, that is a that is a hot take. Yep. Um, he said that the devastating 2010 earthquake in Haiti was a result of early Haitians making a pact with the devil. Mm. Okay. He's really into blaming um, natural disasters on people. Things he doesn't like. Um, if America accepted homosexuality, it would lead to hurricane. Here we go: hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes. Terrorist terrorist bombings and possibly a meteor. Oh, yeah. Um, the terrorist attacks on September 11th were caused by America being taken over by pagans, abortionists, feminists, witches, um, feminists, gays, lesbians, and the American. <laughs> it's so random. The American Civil Liberties Union. So he's got a thing oh with the God. ACLU. And also the people for the American way. So, yeah, it's all their fault for well, he, um, the terrorist attacks on 9-11. He, he just has this platform where he can blame things on things he doesn't like. Yes. Like, if I didn't like onions, I would be like, you know, you know what's causing all this? Onions. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can just pick something random that you don't like and be like, yep, this is the cause of this problem. Mildred's like, you know what's going on? What caused all this? Dogs. Dogs. Totally dogs. <laughs> I make the joke at work whenever something, some minor inconvenience happens. I've been doing this at my last like three jobs where I'll be like, you guys know who I blame. And then they'll all look at me and I'll be like, millennials. <laughs> and then every once in a while, somebody will be like, aren't you technically a millennial? A millennial? And I'm like, yes, that's, that's what the I'm joke. Yeah. That's the joke. Yeah. You guys know who I blame? Dogs. <laughs> that one was for Mildred. And you said it was such gusto with mustard on it. You know, with we really, mustard on it. We appreciate it. Um. Oh God, this next one. It's so the the reach. I mean, they're all a reach. Okay. So I don't want to say that any of them are less of a reach because they're all crazy. But this one, for some reason, it just hits me on a level. He made claims that um, members of the San Francisco gay community had began to <laughs> they began wearing rings that were sharp and infected with HIV. So they could deliberately and secretly infect you by, like, shaking your hand or something. Oh, my God. So I just want to know, like, how distribution of this works. So, like, if I went to San Francisco and, like, kissed a man, like, would it automatically get, like, sent to my mail like the ring? Do yeah, I get I know, that? Right? Like it's part. It's a membership. It's like instead of a coat. Uh, yeah. Instead of Here's a member's... your membership packet. <laughs> yeah. It has your handbook. There's things in there about PTO if you need to take PTO, short term, short term disability, and your ring is in the mail. <laughs> and your HIV ring. And uh, yeah, yeah. Instead of uh. a mood ring, you've got like an HIV <laughs> ring. It's just so insane. Like it's it's all insane, but it's just like. 
What's worse is that this guy gets to prattle on about dumb bullshit that he thinks. And he has a fucking platform that, like... Then the worst part is that there's people that are going to go, yep, yep, I knew that was a thing. That's See? why I don't shake... That's why I don't go to San Francisco. That's why yep. I don't shake hands. That's yeah. why, you know, those gay people are out to get you. Yeah, that's the worst part of it, is that people eat this shit up. Um, regarding the Pulse nightclub shootings that resulted in the murder of 49 people and injured 53 more, he said, quote, he's so sick, um, the best thing to do is sit on the sidelines and let the LGBTQ plus community and Muslims kill themselves. Jesus. He's a fucking piece of shit. Mm-hmm. He's truly a piece of shit. I prefer Dee Dee when she was talking shit to him. I know, right? Um... He calls non-Christians termites. I, I ended it with a little bit of a more mild one. But um, he calls non-Christians termites, and he says that only Jews and Christians belong in politics. Oh. I cut myself off at 10. There's a lot more. Oh, I believe it. He's disgusting. I don't feel like talking more about him being disgusting. Ex- yeah. You know, I thought 10 was good enough. You Agreed. get the vibe for... He's a piece of shit. Yeah, you get the the flavor of person he is. Mm-hmm. So, between CBN, specifically his show, The 700 Club, 450 Club, you know, whatever, (laughs) and his creation of the Christian Coalition, Pat Robertson is largely considered to be a driving force behind the integration of evangelical Christianity and the Republican Party. I thought this was an interesting thing to touch on just because of what we saw in Shiny Happy People Mm -hmm. about the Joshua generation and just kind of that overall topic of evangelic, you know, um, Mm. ideals in politics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how it's very kind of like systematic and they really ban, you know, type Mm -hmm. things. And like in the in Shiny Happy People, it was about like turning ideals that mo- that some people would be like like i don't like that or turning it into something that's more easily digestible mm-hmm. so it becomes part more part of the mainstream then so if he spews it five days a week mm-hmm. on his tv show it doesn't get you know it doesn't seem as crazy because you hear it every day oh yeah you know yeah i hear about those hiv readings all the time all the time so now to close it out for for real for real, the Severed Hundred Club continues even today. So it is actually one of the longest standing broadcasts in history. He didn't even step down from hosting until 2021. So he was on the show himself for 55 years. Wow! Before handing hosting o- duties over to his son Gordon. Surprise. Dee Dee passed away on April 19th of 2022, and like I mentioned at the beginning, Pat just passed away on June 8th. It is the 13th right now as we record. Mm-hmm. So it's been five days since. Um, there's been fire memes about <laughs> <laughs> since he died, to, to be quite honest. They didn't give, there's no reason for either of their deaths, by the way. They don't give anything. I mean, they're fucking old. He was 93. Yeah. And she was like. I think 93. I think she was older than him. So I think mm. she was like, I don't know. She's somewhere around there as well. Okay. They're old. You could just dive old. I wish, you know, <laughs> die uh, of okay. old. Um, I Good wish- thing you're not like a nurse because they'd be like, nurse, what's the cause of death? And you'd be like, old. Well, I mean, they say die of old age. Because old. <laughs> yeah. 
get what you're saying, right? It's fucking old age. You die of old age. That's a thing. It's true. Um, so yeah, there have been some good memes. The internet has been rejoicing in his passing, to be yeah, quite honest. Yeah. Lots of jokes about there's oh, terrible fires in Canada right now. Yeah. But which is not funny at all. But the only thing that was a funny joke that made me get a s- small chuckle is when people say that was just hell opening up to invite <laughs> Pat Robertson in. So that's why there was so much smoke and damn, you know. So, yep. Um, random thought I did have though, as I was like finishing this up, mm. I was like, there to me in, in a way, I felt like his story mirrors david green in one aspect okay in the sense of how david's whole family worked in ministry and he was like i like retail (laughs) yeah yeah but then ultimately he went on to have an even bigger influence because of his money that he got from working Mm -hmm. in retail i feel like it's kind of similar with pat so he came from this long line of politicians but it never worked out for him to actually hold political office but ultimately, he had a huge impact on politics mm-hmm. anyway without ever holding office. Yeah. So I was like, in that way, there's like this little crossover of like this kind of theme. Yeah. And the other thing I thought was interesting about Pat is it seems like he really took from his parents both sides. So he took from his dad's side, the political side. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't like he even said that like his dad. This is what's ironic. He said something later on about like, oh, well, his dad was involved in secular politics. Nothing I heard about that was not really conservative. Right. And awful. (laughs) But to him, that was like, oh, well, now I'm going to take part in like this better politics. (laughs) Like. We're we're more discriminatory. (laughs) My dad thought they discriminated. Shit. He hasn't seen nothing Mm -mm. yet. Mm -mm. But it seems like he got that political side from his dad side Mm. and then he really took the religious side from his mom's side and actually his mom was a descendant of the churchills so he had a lot of damn he had a lot of shit going on a lot of family going on yeah but it's like he took those two things and was just like but i also think it's funny that one day he was like i'm gonna be in ministry and that was before (laughs) the saving you know yeah it was just like it was something to do yeah he was grasping at straws because he was like well i didn't pass the bar and I didn't I'm want to do that ele- anyway. I'm done working in, in, in electronic gizmos. Gizmos. So it's like, what else, you know? It's just, his. yeah, his story was different than I realized. Yeah. I knew the, what, what we're talking about then. I knew the piece of shit on 700 Club. Correct. When I knew what 700 Club was after I turned mm-hmm. 12. But, like, I didn't know his family, like, how yeah. deep it went with, like, his dad in politics. Mm-hmm. So. So now you saw... What led to him becoming a disgusting person? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Piece of shit. <laughs> and that's the story of Pat Robertson. Uh, garbage. How do you feel getting away from a Duggar topic? You said you told me today specifically that you were like, I've been working all day and I wasn't miserable. Well, I don't. That makes it sound like I'm miserable working on the Duggar ones. But there was just something about it. I literally worked from the time Tim was leaving for work, and I printed this as he was walking in the door. Yeah. I worked for, and believe me, this there was two days of pre-research. This the writing. Of, I was writing this today from ten to eight. Damn. Yeah, Crazy so, story. Yeah, it just there was just a lot to look at, but then I had fun going down the political, reading old newspapers and, and stuff. Yeah. yeah, 
And as always, there's tons more to his story, but I had to cut it somewhere. <laughs> but like, there's so many things I didn't talk about. Like mm-hmm. I, I chose to be like, okay, I'm going to talk about this because it's still like the coalition because it's political and blah, blah, blah. But there's all kinds of other shit that he did too that I didn't even touch on. Wow. Maybe another, maybe someday there'll be a Pat Robertson part two. Right. More on that later. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Pat <laughs> Robertson to the electric boogaloo. We got to come up with what his uh, sequels yeah. episode will be called. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's it for me. All right. All right. Well, as usual, you can feel free to buy us a pickle. Buy me at coffee.com slash digging up the Doug. Digging up the Doug. One time pickle options mm-hmm. you also have a monthly subscription where it's a pickle a month so five bucks a month and then then you have access to some of our bonus content yeah or you have a if you have a servant's heart yes 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 <laughs> and then if you would like to join us for some good episode visuals and some mildred related content feel free to join us on instagram at digging up the duggers pod if you'd like to send us an email shout out at digging up the duggers at gmail.com and of course if you'd like to send us some traditional mail we do have a p.o box p.o box 5973 glendale arizona 85312 pat robertson is garbage <laughs> and that is all he's a worthless box Marion was the second of two sons.